0: Of winter didn't scare anybody off did it my daughter asked me this morning is it cold enough to snow and I said not even close <laughs> it'd have to be a lot colder <clears throat> but we're happy for that right <laughs> find your place in Proverbs 3 chapter 3 verses 5 we're gonna start and read verse 5 and 6 father we come before you this morning and open ourselves up to your holy spirit that you're, we know that you're here because we've gathered together here in your name and your word says that when we do that there you are in the midst of us father god we thank you for your presence this morning to lead and to guide into all the truth that we can receive whatever it is that we need in this moment in time because it's different for every one of us and we thank you that you are no respecter of persons that you what you will do for one you will do for all And we thank you for that and look to receive from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. amen. I say it every time I'm up here, but church is not a passive thing. We don't come and just fill a a seat, fill a pew and listen to words. At least that's not what I do um, because it's not, I mean, you could stay at home and do that (laughs) in the comfort of your home with nice slippers and a hot coffee. Um, But when you come into a place like this, the Holy Spirit's here and he's here for you to draw on and receive from. Um, So that your life can be improved. Because that's the whole goal of coming to church is that things can be better than they are. Uh, And to learn more and more how to do what we need to do to do our part of that equation to make sure the other side says life is better. Um, And we all have an active part in that. Um, There's not, God's not passive. He's not a passive God. He doesn't do passive worshipers. Um, We have to worship in spirit and in truth. That means we have a part. Um, to play in everything Um, last time I was up here I said that I thought I might be done teaching about it but lo and behold I am not done teaching about the will of God Um, surprise surprise I was studying this week and I just couldn't get off it so here we are again Um, we're going to look at um, a a few things today and in the title of my message will become apparent later I think but uh, stick with me and we'll, we'll get there so Prover- here in Proverbs 3, we're going to start in verse 5 and read verse 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And other, other translations bring about he'll make your paths straight. He'll, he'll be the guide of your path. A lot of the different translations bring that to light. But the point is, is that, I mean, who doesn't want God to direct them? in their life. Everybody, every believer wants that. Um, So the prerequisite to that is that we have to acknowledge him in all, not some, but in all our ways. And then it says, once you do that, then he will direct your paths. Well, why is that? Because he can't direct a path you don't first bring to him and say, what should I do? Uh, Because if you decide, hey, I'm I'm just going to do this because I want to, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but plenty of us do that. We do things because I want to do that. And, you know, lots of people live their lives like that. But as believers, if we want what these verses tell us we can have, and that is that God's directing our paths, he can only direct us in with the ones that we acknowledge him in. Yeah. So if we're not bringing everything to him and saying, what would you like me to do? He doesn't have any access to direct us and say, okay, in this particular, in this particular situation, I'd like you to do this. If You never ask. If my kids never ask me if they, have a, if they can have a cookie and just go and get one, they know now that that will get them in trouble if they do that. They must first ask permission. And as a believer, we should be approaching God in the same way. Now, many believers don't. And you can see, and many of us, unfortunately, have probably experienced what happens when we don't do that. When we decide, this looks good. You know, I, have you ever said, I think this is God? Well, thinking it's God and knowing it's God are two different things, and just thinking something is God and going off and doing it can get us in trouble, gotten me in trouble lots of times, and or you hear part of what God wants you to do, and you think, I, I can figure the rest out. Yeah. Can you now? <laughs> can you now? Um, and I've made that mistake plenty of times where you do that, and you go off and do a thing, turns out not what you were supposed to do. And, and really, God, the way God is directing us and why he's doing this is because he has a particular destination he wants us to get to, and not only a particular destination, but a particular path to get to that destination. I mean, you can get to Venice from here a few different ways. You can go 75, you can go 41. Which way do you want to go? And once you cross the bridges, you can go all sorts of different ways to get up there if you want to. Well, There's a few that are the best ways to get there, depending on what you're trying to do. Well, God knows the best way to get us from point A to point B. And more importantly, with God, the journey is almost as important as the destination. Because there are things that you have to learn and develop in along the way to get to that destination, to make that destination even mean something. Otherwise, God would just say, when you, when you get saved, he'd say, hey, I want you to be an evangelist. He doesn't do that to most people when they get saved. What does he first tell them? Go to church. Find a body. Be involved. Learn. Grow. Why? Because if you tell a baby, be an evangelist, and let them figure it out, they're not, not going to ever make it there. Why? Because that's a complicated process. It's a process that involves many steps and people and connections and things that God can set up for you, but on your own you would have no way to do that. If when you were when you understood speech when you were 5 or 6 years old somebody just walked up to you and said, "Hey, um, when you're 18, I want you to know how to weld metal together." But didn't give you any more instruction other than that, how would you would how would, number 1 how would a 5-year-old even conceive that. How would he even understand what you just told him or her? They wouldn't. Well, when you're a a first born again Christian, that's what you are. You're a five-year-old, spiritually speaking. So God doesn't do that. He brings us step by step. First, you need to go learn how to read and write. Then you need to go learn how to do math. Then you need to learn a bunch of other things in between being a five-year-old and learning how to be a welder. (laughs) There's lots of steps in between there. But if There's nobody there directing, or more importantly, when it comes to us, if we're not asking the questions, we're not ever going to make it to where we need to go. Because we're going to get lost somewhere along the way trying to figure it out on our own. I mean, I'm speaking from experience. I won't ask for a raise of hands. But (laughs) it's really easy for us to get confused along the way. So our desire should be for God to lead us in everything. But the prerequisite to that desire or the the prerequisite to getting there is that we actually acknowledge him in those things. And why should we? We're not going to go there for time's sake, but in Isaiah 55 it talks about his thoughts and ways being much higher than ours, higher than the heavens are than the earth. And now in, in, in context that verse is talking about the unrighteous and potentially unsaved and lost people, but the connection, to be honest, is still true. I mean, even if you are saved, his ways are still way higher than your ways, and his thoughts are way higher than your thoughts. Now, the goal is to bring our thoughts and ways up higher, to be closer and close, as close as we can possibly manage to his. That's a workload. His way, when, you get, when you even catch the smallest glimpse of the level that God's operating on as far as what his vision is, it'll blow your mind. There's a, there's a reason why he says I will, he'll always exceed us, more, more than you could possibly expect or imagine. Why does he say that? Because he understands that in this life, we're not ever going to come close to thinking like he thinks. I mean, he made a galaxy that's ever-expanding. hasn't stopped. We're just now figuring out that it's way bigger, way, way, way bigger than we even thought it was. They built that new Richard Webb telescope or whatever it is up, James Webb. Something web, telescope up there, and they're looking out and just finding stuff. They're like, we didn't even know that was out there. Well, there's probably going to be more of that even further out because we just don't have the capability to see as far as God's, God's power has expanded out to and the things that are out there. We'll never, we don't have enough time for us to figure it out on our own. That's the level that God's operating on. He's operating on building galaxies. And we're, we just, we're barely even st- still figuring out how this one this one little solar system works. We still haven't figured it out. The sun's still doing things we haven't seen. The planets are still doing things we haven't seen. And we're just in this one little teeny tiny little solar system. There's billions, probably trillions of these things. We can't even figure one out. That's the level that God's operating on. So it's no wonder that he says, my ways and thoughts are, are a little higher than yours. Well, yes, they are. But our, our desire should be to, can I get a little bit of that and come closer to where he's at? That's his desire for us too. Now what we need to remember is bringing it back to Proverbs, you're not going to get there trying to figure it out on your own. You're going to get there by going to him and acknowledging him in everything because then he can apply his thoughts and ways to the situation. Because if we never go and ask him, all we've got is us. And I don't, I don't know you well enough to, to talk down on you, but I'll talk down on me. I am not enough. <laughs> my mind and thoughts and ways are not enough. I've tried to figure things out on my own before, and most of the time, probably 85% of the time, it ends in disaster. The other 15 were dumb luck, I guarantee you. I did not intentionally come out the way that I meant it to. It was a happy accident. Or probably, knowing what I know, grace from the all-forgiving the all, all Father. Because he just looked down on me and said, bless your heart, and he, he put his hand on me. Uh, so, we have to pursue that. Pursue raising our thoughts, our, our, our ways and our thoughts up higher to his level. But in pursuing that, we must ultimately come to the realization that there's only one way to do that. There's only one way to do that. There aren't a branching path to bring your ways up to where he is. There is only one. Go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. But that, that's where a lot of believers get themselves in trouble, is they think, oh, I can, I can figure this out. I've got, Have you ever heard people say, I'll do it my way? You don't have a way. You've been fooled into thinking you have a way, but you don't have a way. We're told in the Word of God clearly that there, and we're going to get there. I'm jumping ahead of myself. But there are only two paths. That's it. There's not five, seven, does a baker's dozen. No, there's two. That's it. This is Paul speaking. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Now, uh, worship is in other translations. But what, what is he talking about there in verse 1? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does a living sacrifice mean? That means you're living your life the way he wants you to live it. Because that's what sacrifice means, right? That you're laying yourself down for something else. Usually in, in, in reference to sacrifice, it's for someone else. Like you put your will down to raise someone else's up. I will lay down what I want to do over what you would like to do. If you're in a relationship or ever been in a close relationship, marriage or otherwise, you realize that there's a lot of that that goes on in our relationships. Otherwise, they don't work out real well. When both parties are going, I want my way and I'm not willing to give anything up. Things tend to go badly when both parties do that all the time. So the relationships tend to be, well, I want to do this, but I realize that you want to do something else, so I will sacrifice what I want to do so that we can do what you want to do. My kids have still not quite learned that yet, (laughs) but that's why they're kids. They're learning, right? Everything is about them. Well, I don't want to eat that. Well, frankly, darling, I didn't ask. So that's our reasonable service. Our reasonable sacrifice is to live, but to live in a way that we sacrifice what I want to do for what God wants me to do. That's what he's talking about. He said it's your reasonable service to do that. Why is it reasonable? Because he saved our souls. We would be on our way to hell if it weren't for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So in turn, we sacrifice our lives for him. That's a fair trade, in my opinion. Because this, this period of time that I'm going to spend on this earth is very short. And the, the funny part is, is the longer you live it, the shorter you realize it was. The further you go in, you go, man, this is not, time is seemingly speeding up. And I'm realizing now that this, is, this was not a long time at all. When you're young, you think, oh, I've got all the time in the world. And then you hit 35, 40, 45, 50, and you're going, wait, 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 pump the brakes, pump the brakes, pump the brakes, go too fast. Why is that? Because we never really had all that much time. It just felt like that. But when we come to the realization that no matter the time that we have, it should be spent in service, a reasonable service to the one who saved us. Because we get to go on after this and continue to live a life for eternity. We'll live forever. So this this portion of our life, extremely short as it is, needs to be spent in service to the one who saved us. In thanksgiving and worship to him. That's why some of those translations say it's a reasonable service of worship. If somebody saved my life here, like physically saved my life, I would be willing to do many things for them. Why? Because they saved my life. So I would be willing to do things for them. For that, what they did for me. Well, this, that's why we should be that way with Jesus, is when we value what he's done for us, that value should carry with it the desire to serve. Amen. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed, but renew your mind. Renewing your mind is the singular path that we have to come up to God's way. That's the only way we can do it. And turn to James 1.21. There is no path available to us other than renewing our mind in order to bring our ways closer to His. And the whole desire to bring our ways closer to His is so that we begin to operate more and more and more and more like him. Because as we do that, we become a more effective tool for the master's work. Your, your reasonable service becomes more efficient and more effective. The more you, you learn and renew your mind to the way that God does things, the more he can use you for. Because now you're not a five-year-old who doesn't know how to read and write. Now you're a master craftsman who's been doing this for umpteen years and you know how to do all these things. The doubt is gone. The unsuredness of youth is gone. All those things are gone. Because why? Because you've grown. Because you've developed. You've matured. Spiritually, you've done all those things so that when he comes to you and says, I want you to do this, there's no hesitation. There's no thought of, can I? Because a lot of times that's what we get as believers. You get something from God and he asks you to do something and you go, I don't even know if I can do that. Well, how do you overcome that? You overcome that by renewing your mind and realizing the more you walk with God that there doesn't need to be doubts like that. Because he's not asking you to do it alone. He's going to be there with you every step of the way. He's going to give you the grace and the provision that you need to do whatever he's asking you to do so that our doubts are unfounded they're unfounded they're they're like a mirage you ever had heat come up or or different a whole bunch of visual mirages can happen where you you're looking ahead and you think is something in the road up there you're driving, you get closer and you get closer and you go, oh no, it was just heat waves or whatever it happens to be. But stuff like that can happen. It happened to me one night on the highway. I was driving and I could have swore to you, would have paid you money that there was a, a big old log laying in the middle of the road. And I, I responded as if there were a big old log laying in the middle of the road because that would have destroyed my car if I had hit that. So I slammed on the brakes and jerked the wheel and did some 360s in the middle of the road. And and I stopped and I'm like, ooh, that was close. And I look, nothing there. Nothing there. But my brain said, log in the road. And so I reacted as it, well, we do that all the time in our lives. Why? Because we're sold on something that our emotions have created that's not actually there. That's what doubt is. That's all that doubt is. Doubt is an emotional creation mostly out of nothing. It's created out of whole cloth, like there's nothing there. Because we're operating with an all-powerful God. Remember, he makes galaxies, trillions of them. And we're worried that if we do this, I can't pay my water bill? What? Or if I do this, I'm, I don't feel good. What happens if I go out and I get sicker? Excuse me, what? But these things, these doubts in us, well, I don't know if I can talk to those people. I don't know if I'm smart enough. I don't know if my words are good enough or my language is, you know, uh, pristine enough, or if I'm learned, and all these doubts that, that come up on the inside of us when God asks us to do something are not important, but it's it's that development, it's that renewing of the mind that lets us know that, because if you depend on your emotions and what you know to get past those doubts, you're not ever going to make it, because your brain was the one that created those doubts in the first place, usually with help, either other people or the enemy. We've all been there, I think. But it's that, it's that renewal that allows us to move past those doubts. It's the coming and bringing our ways and thoughts higher and higher and higher, closer to his that allows us to move past that so that we can do more for him. That is the desire, yeah? I mean, that should be. He saved our sorry souls from going to hell. He paid the price for me. So I should look to serve him as best I can. And in order to serve him as best I can, I need to get better. You ever had a job where you wanted to get better at that job? I know that's that's lost on the younger generations coming up, quiet quitting and all that stupid garbage like that. Well, I'm gonna go to work, but I'm gonna do the absolute bare minimum to keep my job. What? (laughs) Where? Anyway, I digress. We won't go down that road. <laughs> so James 1.21, it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word is what we renew our mind by. This is what we renew our mind by. It is the only thing that works. They, you know... <laughs> It boggles my mind, but you know, we, as a society—not—not not as a whole—but parts of society push certain types of music and certain types of literature and certain types of things um, to the youth, to the kids, and then they wonder why the kids have all these problems—that they have disrespect for authority, that they don't don't listen, they're rebellious, and and yes, some of that is youth, youth. That's that's part of youth is rebelliousness, but when you ingrain in them those things through what they're reading and what they listen to, it becomes compounded. The problem is compounded. Why? Because th- when, what you put into yourself affects the way that you operate as a person. And kids, kids don't get that, and we are supposed to protect them from that. The, and the church, I'm not saying we as people in this room, but the church has failed miserably in that regard. And protecting the up-and-coming generation from that I I mean abject failure no other word about it and you can look at the fact that (laughs) and and I've heard preachers laugh about it oh yeah my 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 child's an atheist excuse me you are a representative of Almighty God and your child is an atheist how did that happen you are their parent how did, how did you let that happen? That is your fault <laughs> that your child is an atheist. And that's not, a, that's not a, a, an isolated problem. That's a massive problem, pervasive. Why? Because they just let them do whatever they wanted to do, read whatever they wanted to read, listen to whatever they wanted to listen to. Well, I hate to tell you, but there's lots of trash out there. And it's it, just like the Word of God, if you imbibe that, it gets in you. And I've done it. It's hard to get rid of. Very hard. Why? Because it gets, it just, it's not in you, it's in you. Because you, just like the Word of God, you meditate on it. How many of you have ever listened to a CD more than once? A music CD. Ever have a favorite CD that's on repeat in your CD player? So that what? As soon as that first line of the song comes on, all the words scroll through your head and you're like, here we go. This is my favorite song. Let's jam out. Anybody? Am I the only one? Free Bird? <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama? I mean, most of you, you say the words and you can hear the tune in your head. Oh, yeah. When I said Sweet Home Alabama, anybody hear that riff? And, yeah, exactly. Well, why is that? Because that's how we work. That's how we were designed. Well, I don't know. We I'm surprised. So I'm sure. Well, maybe that wasn't Pastor Bob's kind of rock and roll, but <laughs> that's not before your time. Nice try. <laughs> but that's the way we were designed. That's the way God designed us. But he designed us with his word in mind with that, with worship to him in mind with that. Because the same thing can be said, how many of you have ever heard the few strums of a worship song? And all of a sudden your spirit's rising to that song that I get to worship my God right now. Well, why is that? Because that's how we were designed. When you hear a verse, not even the verse, but just the John three sixteen. Why does that come up on the inside of us? Because we looked at it. We trained ourselves. We memorized it. We took it on the inside, and now it's in here. Well, that's the the point. People ask, well, how do I renew my mind to the Word? Exactly the way you used to do it in Sunday school. You read it, and then you read it again, and you read it again, and you read it again, and then you think about it when you're not reading it. And then all of a sudden, it's part of you. Yes, yeah. Well, what does that do? If you do that enough times with enough word, it starts to change the way you think. Amen. That when a problem comes up, you don't think about it the way the world thinks about it anymore. You think about it according to the way the word talks about it. And that's the desire. Yeah. Because then, because God op- God, you understand that God operates this way and only this way. Yeah. He doesn't operate any other way. He's like, well, this is, this, is my, this is my plan A. If we go to plan B, I'll do it a different way. No, he only operates by the word. So if we can gather it to ourselves and learn it and learn how to use it, then we are operating more and more and more like him, bringing our ways up to his ways. And there, I mentioned that there are only two paths. Jesus makes this clear when he talks about it, that there is a path of destruction, and there is a path that leads to life. And he said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to life, to salvation. And a lot of people equate that, well, that just has to do with being saved. I disagree. How many of you have ever known a Christian that was on the path of destruction? I have, I've known Christians that are no longer Christians. Why? Because they were on the path of destruction. They never moved over to the path of life. Or if they did, they didn't stay there very long. Unfortunately, it's not a happy thing. Paul mentions it in Corinthians when he talks about the man who was, um, what was he, sleeping with his mother-in-law? Is that what it was in our current vernacular? Living with his father's wife, I think, is what it was. Uh, and he said, such a sin's not even found among the Gentiles. Like, even the, even the sinners don't sin that hardcore, people. What's going on here? But what did he say? He said, let's give his flesh over to Satan. So what? So that his soul would be saved. Well, what is he talking about there? What is he inferring? He's inferring that if you let it go, he might lose his salvation. Because a lot of believers think, oh, once saved, always saved. No. No. You believe your way in, you can believe your way out. And you, the response is, well, why would you ever? Right. Yeah. Think about some of the things that you've done yeah. in your life. Why would you do that? Good question. But I've seen, I've seen people do it. I've seen people go down that road. Because now they, as they, whatever path they're on, there are a bunch of different paths that you can get, get you there. That's why the, the path to destruction is wide, because there's lots of false stuff out there. But they go down that road, and they, all of a sudden, they know better. Oh, geez, that's just, the religion is just a crutch for the simple-minded. Oh, is it now? But they start to be convinced of that thing, and all of a sudden, Jesus, that's not real. That's just some made-up fantasy story that some... Blah, 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 blah. Well, what is that? That's, that's them pushing away the Savior. And they may have known him at one point. Don't anymore. And it's a sad, sad day yeah. when that happens. But it is possible. And the point is, is that the road we need to stay on is the one where we are renewing our mind to the Word. That's where, that's the path of life. Is being led by the Spirit and renewing our mind to the Word of God. Go to Matthew uh, 13. We're going to read 18 to 23. So we're looking to renew our minds to grow and develop, to bring our thoughts and ways up to what God has for us. And the, the reason why we're doing that is we want to do what God, do, fill the role that God has planned out for us, yes. to do what it is he's laid out for us to do, because it's different for everybody. What I have to do is, what, not miss, what, is not what Miss Debbie has to do, not what Bill has to do, not what Miss Sue has to do. All of our, all of our paths are different. Right. So that we have, to, we have to follow him, because I can't come up to Miss Sidna and say, Miss Sidna, here's what you need to do. I have no idea what Miss Sidna needs right. to do. Because I don't know where she's at, I don't know how she's developed, I don't know what she's studying, I don't know what she believes, I don't know anything about what she knows. Now we could sit down for a few days and some hours and talk and I could gain a better understanding, but that still is not going to put me in a position to know what she needs to do. Because ultimately, even married couples, you can't know what's in that other person's heart. Because at the end of the day, and we don't like to think this of our spouses, they could lie to you. (laughs) I know that's hard to believe that they may not tell you, or let's put it this way. They may omit certain things from you. Let's not call it a lie. (laughs) They may omit certain details. Well, what is that? You know, for whatever reason, people are people is what I always say. They do things. Why is not for me to know because I'm not going to stress myself out trying to find out. Because that's a waste of time but the fact of the matter is is we are not in a position to know what anybody else needs to do but that we need to know where we need to be looking to find out right we need to be going to God to find out what is it that I need to be doing and how is it that I am going to fill that role Because the goal is to be closer. We're supposed to be an imitator of Christ, right? We're called to be an imitator of Christ. Well, What does that mean? I want to look and act more and more and more and more like him. And that shows that that act of desire of to be an imitator of him shows our love for him. Because the word of God says those that love me will do what? Will follow my commandments, will do what I say. And if we're going to do what he says, that is because we know who God is and the way that he operates by doing what he says is going to bring us closer to being that imitation of him. Because why? Because he's a good God, because he's a faithful God, because he has goodness in mind for us. When we know all those things and we're doing what he's telling us to do, we can know that every act of obedience that we do to him brings us closer and closer and closer to being that imitation. Now on the other side of this discussion is the one that's working against us. To stop us from doing that. Because his, the, the enemy, the devil's interest is to keep us from becoming an imitator of Christ. Why? Because he knows the closer we get to being an imitator of Christ, the closer we come to being like him. And Jesus scared the snot out of the devil and he that's right he beat the sense out of him too that's why he doesn't want anybody else walking around in the earth that's even anywhere close to being like Jesus is because his desire is to drag as many people to hell with him as possible he still thinks he's going to win but he's an idiot so you know there's that too But he's trying to stop as many people as he can from getting into the kingdom. And the way that he does that is he stops the body of Christ on the earth from spreading the gospel. Because we are the ones that spread the gospel. We're it. Jesus is not down here proclaiming. The angels are not proclaiming the gospel. We, the body of Christ, are the ones that are proclaiming the gospel. So if he can stop us, that's it. All done. He's come close a few times. During the Dark Ages and stuff, he had the Word of God pinced down to a couple of monasteries in a few locations. But guess what? It got out. Surprise, surprise, it got out. And now there's billions of us. But there need to be more of us. Yeah. <laughs> and more of us and more of us. But what we're going to look at here in, in Matthew 13, 18 uh, through 23 is the, um, the parable of the sower. Because a lot of people look at this as, you know, they look at it as, oh, well, this is about, you know, they think about sowing seed and whatnot, so f- for some reason they connect it to finances and different things like that. But it has to do, in general, with the Word of God, that you receive from the Word, and the enemy comes immediately to steal away that thing that you received. Yeah. And we're going to look at some of the different ways that he does that, but um, what we're talking about in reference to today is, is the idea of growth, and that the the Spirit of God and the Word of God will bring things to you to get you to grow in certain areas, to come more closer in that imitation walk. Because, I don't know about you, but there are some, uh, some emotional things that I need to deal with and some, uh, some, some self-control issues and some other things that I have to kind of get in, get in gear and shave off some rough edges over here before I'm even in the area, before I can even be called a Christ-like, like a sort of like one. not even Christ like Christ sort of like so it says here in Matthew 13 18 it says therefore hear the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart this is the one who received the seed by the wayside so the people hear it but they don't, under, they don't even understand it. That's what we were talking about earlier, where you hear the word of God, this direction that he gives you to say, hey, I want you to do this thing, but you're like, I, your, your mind and your emotions are so ingrained and not renewed that you go, I, I don't even understand how I can do that. And what is that? That's the seed bouncing off your chest and falling on the ground. And the enemy comes and scoops it up and says, thank you, I'll take that, and walks away with it. That's why a lot of Christians are confused because they go to God about this thing and that thing and the other thing and the other thing and they keep hearing the same thing back from God. Well, I already heard that from you. Well, yeah. Did you do it? <laughs> did you do it? Because yeah, he told you this thing, but did you do it? What, what do you mean do it? I mean do it. Like did he tell you, oh, you need to go forgive your brother. Like literally your familiar brother or your sister or your father, mother, whatever. You need to go offer forgiveness to that person. No. What is that? Don't falls on the floor. And the enemy comes and scoops it up. Well, what was that? That was your growth potential that he just stole from you. Yeah, that's right. yeah. People don't look at it like that. Yeah. They think, oh, the enemy only steals stuff when it has to do with finances. No. no. Uh-uh. He steals he steals whatever word, whatever revelation he can get his hands on. So when something like that happens, that's it. That's a lost opportunity. Now God's going to bring it back around yeah. because ultimately we're going to acknowledge him like we talked about in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're going to go to him and go, God, I need this. And he's going to go, you need to go for, forgive your mother, father, brother, sister, whoever it was. Notice he didn't even reference what it was you came to ask him about. Yep. Well, why is that? Because this thing is the first step to getting to where that, wherever it is you're looking to go. Have you, ever, have you ever had this happen? Where you go to God and you're just crying out to God about this one particular thing. And he comes out of way out of left field with something. Like not even connected. But then you're like, okay, fine, God. And you do it. And all of a sudden that thing you were praying about gets fixed. And it gets taken care of. <laughs> you're like, wait, 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 wait. I did this thing over here. And this thing that's way over there got taken care of. Well, yes. Well, how does that work? I don't know. But God does. And that's, that's the part of acknowledging him because he's, what do we talk about? His ways are way up here. He's, he's cruising over at 30,000 feet and he's seeing the connection. You're not. Why? Because you're down on the ground. There's five mountains and three hills and four forests between you and that thing making the connection. You can't see it. Why? Because you're on the ground. You haven't elevated yourself yet. But God has. He flies around up there. He sees all that stuff. So when he comes to you and when you say, God, I need healing. I need finances. I need need, uh, some kind of relational help. And he goes, you need to uh, study you know whatever Genesis chapter three and you go what? what? But then you start studying and I'm just ma- I'm just pulling stuff out of thin air but you start studying and things get cleared up and you're like those two things are not connected but they are. you just don't understand how they are And that's part of acknowledging God because, We can't make the connections, guys. That's why we have to go to him and say, God, because just on the good side, he knows the bad stuff, too. When we come to him with this, God, I've got an amazing plan for you, and he goes, no. you go, God, it's so good, though. No, why? Because he's got that view, and he looks at it, and he goes, that thing's going to blow up three days from now. And he knows that. You don't. But if we go to him and acknowledge him and say, if we're actually seeking acknowledgement and not just doing what most Christians do and say, I'm going to go pray. Yes, God said yes. No, come on now. (laughs) I'm not asking for a show of hands. We've all done that. Hmm. There's There's a saying in sports it's called do your job and I've heard co- many many coaches over the years scream this at their players do your job well why is that because many times we get distracted with things that pull us off what we're supposed to be paying attention to and what we are supposed to be paying attention to is the renewing of our mind yeah. and you'd, you, a lot of people say well pastor Tim that seems awfully selfish And you would think so looking at it from the outside. But when you renew your mind, it opens you up to the Holy Spirit. It opens you up to his leadership. And not only that, it gives you pathways where you'll have the most effect. Have you ever talked to somebody about God and it just seems like you're just, I mean, just hitting loggerheads. There's nothing. And then a week later, you'll talk to somebody else and it's like, it's like a hot knife through butter, man. I mean, just they just suck it up. They're just, oh, and, and boom, just miracles happen, it seems like. Well, what's, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the leadership of the Holy Spirit going, this person right now needs to hear from you. Why? Because he knows. He knows that. He knows the timing that their heart is just right to hear what you have to say, to hear what you're about to bring them. And I wouldn't know that if I wasn't paying attention, if I wasn't acknowledging, if I wasn't developing myself to be in position to hear. If I'm too concerned, if I'm over here, and you can write down, um, mm, 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 where is it? I'm going to have you write down. Matthew 7, 5 talks about, that's when it says, don't consider the speck in your brother's eye, consider the log in your own eye. If I'm over here so concerned about what Miss Siddon is doing, well, Miss Sidden is not reading her Bible enough. Miss Sidden is not praying enough. Miss Sidden is not doing X, Y, Z enough. And this is just an example. Uh, all these things. But then God is trying to talk to me about me, but I'm too concerned with her to even think about me. Well, what is that? That's a distraction. Well, but I'm trying to help her. It's such a good thing. No, it's not. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But what, when I, if I'm just concerned about me, it's so selfish. No, I'm not, I'm not saying bury your eyes in your own navel and never look up. What I'm saying is develop yourself enough so that when the Holy Spirit talks to you, he's not talking to a brick wall. That's what, I, well, that's what we're trying to say. So remember that coach screaming in the ear when you start to, when you start to drift and you feel yourself, hmm, I start, I'm starting to get involved in somebody else's business. Hear that. Do your job coming out of the background. Well, why? Because I need to be paying attention to the things I have to do. I don't need to be worried about everybody else. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. And frankly, I don't have the will to be concerned about everybody else. If, if I need to be concerned about you, the Holy Spirit will let me know. Yes, that's, it. that's the way that we need to be living our life. Because if there is a reason why, the verse says, "Cast your care on the Lord, not pick up all these other people's cares." That's not what the verse says. You realize that, right? Hey, uh, pick up all these other people's cares and carry them. No, that's stupid. Don't do that. But that's what a lot of Christians do. They're like, well, "Did you hear about Sister So and So?" No, I didn't, and I don't want to, because it doesn't have anything to do with me. And a lot of people, well, that's so selfish. No, I can't fix them. You guys realize that? That's one of the biggest realizations we can have as a believer. I can't do anything for you. I can't. I don't have the power. I don't have the energy. Even if I prayed until my tongue fell out of my head, I can't change you. I can't fix you. You have to fix you. And the Holy Spirit will help you, but I can't do anything. That's why when people come across my mind, I offer up a prayer and I move on because that's all I can do. God, give them mercy, give them grace, give them time. That's what I pray over everybody that comes to my mind. Give them grace, give them mercy, give them time. Because why? Because that's what I want. (laughs) That's what I want. When I'm going through stuff, I want grace, mercy, and time. Why? Because if I didn't have those things... I can't tell you the amount of times I would be in trouble. So much trouble if God didn't give me grace, mercy, and time. <laughs> I pray that, oh, I pray that over so many people so often. God, just, just give them grace and give them mercy and give them a little bit more time. Just be a little bit more patient with them, please. And so, If you know people enough, that's asking a lot sometimes, especially from our, especially from our perspective you want to pray like David sometimes, God just sent him to hell alive. But no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> I think about that verse too, but I don't ever, I don't ever pray that over anybody. <laughs> but we need to remember that this is the path we have to walk. The renewing of our mind keeps us on that narrow path that leads to life that leads to the best life we can live but also keeps us on that path so that we'll attain everlasting life when we're done here because when we stop people people think they have this this false sense in their head that if i just stop pursuing i'll just stay right here and then when i'm ready to start again i'll just start moving from right here no the moment we stop momentum kicks in and we start moving backwards Why? Because we live in a system that is constantly pushing against us. Ever flick on your radio, even Christian radio stations. I can't hardly even listen to most of them anymore because they push against you. Oh, God giveth and God taketh away and this and that and the other. And I'm like, "I I can't. I can't. He doesn't. He doesn't take away. Well, God took so and so. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't take anybody. Either they gave up or the enemy took them. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we're not going down that road. But just realize that that's the path we need to walk. And when we start to stray and we start to lose, lose attention, and that was the other verse, right down 1 first, first Peter 5.8. It talks about being sober and vigilant, keeping watch. For the enemy prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking those who he may devour. And he, you think of violence when you see that verse because you think roaring lion going to devalue. And most of the time, the devil doesn't do violence. The devil does very, does very, very subtle, very subtle, just enough to pull you just a little bit off course. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, you're way off course and you go, how did I get over here? And sometimes it's the good things. That's what it is for Christians. It's the good things. He brings you good things and says, oh, this is such a good thing. Yeah, but is it a God thing? I knew a guy who, who gave. I mean, gave at the drop of a hat. He'd give you money. He'd give you the clothes off his back to the church, to anybody in need, to this, to that. And you'd think, that's such a good thing. He's such a giver. No. No. Because he didn't have a foundation of understanding for giving and receiving. He just did it. Not understanding, not being led. If you asked him for money, he'd give you all the money in his wallet. Well, is that good? No, that's not good. But is giving a good thing? Yes, giving's a good thing. But the two can, the two are not necessarily connected, because God was not leading him to do that. He was doing that of his own will, and he bankrupt him, bankrupted himself, literally, ran out of money, lost his house, lost his family. Why? Because he wouldn't stop just giving, 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 giving. But he didn't know how to receive. He didn't understand the principles. He didn't have the faith. He just did it because it was good. This is what God asked me to do. Yeah, but no, he didn't ask you to give to everybody all the time. That's right. yep. You have to grow into giving to, the Bible says to, that you would have supply to give to every good work. You have to grow into that. You don't start there. You don't get saved and that's it. Give to everything all the time. You'd be broke in a week. And you're not good to anybody if you don't have any resources. If you can't stand on your own two feet, you can't help anybody else. But that's the type of stuff the enemy does. Well, it's just, I'm just so concerned for Miss Sue. That's why I'm playing Holy Ghost Police over here. Telling her how she needs to live her life and what she needs to be worried about. It's such a good thing. No, it's not. Because she probably doesn't like you anymore and now you're not listening to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Ever been there? I want to ask for a raise of hands. (laughs) All right, it's late. I'm, I'm way past time. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we will study this, Father. We'll meditate on this. We'll let it go down on the inside of us and and come to the realization that we do have a job to do, Father. That, uh, That you've called us to a certain thing. And how we get there is by renewing our mind and becoming more and more and more like you. So we ask you to help us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do that. Facilitate the direction that we need to go in. Tell us what the first step is so that we can move down that road, Father. So that we can become more and more and more like you. Oh, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We can't say thank you enough. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. And Father, we come before you with our giving right now. That you have called us to give with a cheerful heart. And to give into your good works. And we look to you for leadership and guidance into what to give to, Father God. And how much to give and when so that we can be blessed back to be what a bigger blessing so that we continue to give and fund the kingdom of god and we thank you for it in jesus name amen 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 if you need an envelope they're on the seat backs in front of you if you don't have one there you can ask the ushers and they'll give you one live streamers thank you for joining us this morning we appreciate you and uh, we look forward to seeing you again we are going to start at ten thirty today so we'll be back here in just a few minutes Um, If you want to give, you can go to newlifefamilyworship.net and use the giving link, and you will get a receipt for your giving, and we'll see you here in a few minutes.